Well, we resume our studies back to First Kings, and we remember that we were dealing with the, uh, the, 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 the second king, Solomon, uh, from the Word of God. I believe Andrew had that responsibility and dealt with that particular subject. We're going to deal with Solomon a bit today because Solomon is just a lot more interesting character than dear Rehoboam, his son, ever would have been. Going back to chapter 3, you see the very crux, the very foundation of Solomon's life in the decision that he made uh, so far as asking for understanding or wisdom in regards to uh, directing this nation, Israel. He said these words, I am yet a child. And he, he, he made it known that he needed special understanding. There was an absolute reliance upon God in all that he did. Now, that's a great start. That's a wonderful start. I encourage you to make that your finish. Not just start it, but finish it. And we're going to watch Solomon as we go through. You're going to realize that he started it, but he didn't finish it. It's a great start. When we lay our heads on our beds for the last time and our eyes close in death, and we finally give way to our mortality, we're still just children of the living God. So Solomon started that way, and he asked for divine wisdom. And God said, well, if you ask for that, that's, that would just delighted God tremendously that he asked for such a thing. I'm going to give you all the things that, I, that, you, that normally men would have asked for, riches, wealth, position, all these kinds of things, great knowledge, all these things are going to come your way. But then you turn over to chapter number 10, or chapter number 11 of 1 Kings. And you read in verse number 1, and I'm just reviewing now, I'm just reviewing now because you, you can see where we've gone here with this. Why did we go to the book of Ecclesiastes when we did? Does anybody know? Because if you remember what Andrew ended with was the death of Solomon, which is at the end of chapter number 11. Ecclesiastes was written in Solomon's old age. And he would say these words, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You see, there was two sides of the coin of wisdom. Now, get this, because I think this is important. Solomon was given wisdom... And knowledge. He was at the top of the field as far as all the sciences were concerned. He was at the top of the field as far as knowledge in the earth was concerned. More wisdom than, than anyone had had previous to that. And then came the Lord, of course. But it goes two ways, you see. As Solomon's life began to unfold and Solomon began to rely upon Solomon, that wisdom and that knowledge, that God-given knowledge, also revealed to him how wrong he was. You know the old term? Ignorance is bliss. 
he didn't have any. That was the problem, you see. That was, that was the other side of the wisdom coin. Not only was he given all this knowledge and all this wisdom, but he also had enough knowledge and wisdom of the mind of God to realize that the track that he was taking was off, away from the plan of God for his life. You see that? It began to be very acute to him. Maybe it wouldn't be so acute to us. Maybe we could pass it off, all this wealth, and we could say, well, here's 10% for this poor folk, and here's 10%. And we could kind of justify the whole thing. But Solomon had divine wisdom, and therefore he knew that the path he was taking was vanity. It was all nothing. It reminds you of cotton candy. Have you ever seen a child eat cotton candy? They put it in their mouth. They go, hey, Give me more. You put it in your mouth. (gasps) What happens? As soon as it hits your mouth, the moisture in your mouth goes, right? And so it tastes great. You think, wow, that's good. It's gone. Solomon lived a cotton candy life. Here today, gone tomorrow. And he knew it. And hence, we have the book of Ecclesiastes. That's exactly what Ecclesiastes addresses. A complete, absolute, divine knowledge of what he was doing, the course that he was taking, and it was not in accordance with the will of God. You say, but he did so many great things. He built a temple. There was no other temple built. In fact, if you look in the Word of God, it actually gives you the details of that temple. Chapter 6 on through, it gives you the details of that temple. Its grandeur was beyond any. He did some good things. But with his mind of God, he knew it was all vain. Vain, meaning self-serving. It's all right here. Look what it says, chapter 11, verse 1. Here here was the beginning of his his demise. But really, it's not the beginning of his demise because if you go way back to chapters, the earlier chapters, you're going to find out that he made alliances with foreign kings. That was expressly forbidden in the word of God. So way back when, we always look at the wives. He says, oh, look, he took on foreign wives. Now, Solomon loved many foreign women. Mm. Wow. Loved? I don't think so. Not, not by God's standard of love. You don't have 300 wives and know what love is. Solomon lusted after many foreign women. Solomon's seed saw that it was a great advantage to him to excel his kingdom if he would make alliances with other countries by taking on these women into his harems. And there was peace on the earth during Solomon's reign. David was a man of war. Solomon, it was peace. All the wars had already been dealt with. All the enemies knew who, what, what the nation of Israel stood for. Because his father, David, made sure they knew before he passed off the scene. But then when Solomon came, it was peace. And he promoted this peace. Not by God, but he promoted it by taking on foreign wives and making alliances with other countries. So he had many foreign wives. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittite women. 
Read verse 7 of, verse, of chapter 11. I want, you to, I want you to see this because this is unbelievable what he did. This is what it says. Then Solomon built high places in Shemoth and the detestable idols of Moab on the mount, which is, now listen, it says east of Jerusalem. You know what that is? That's the Mount of Olives. So the exact place where the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven and is going to descend and, and take his place as King of kings and Lord of lords. That exact place is where he allowed all these foreign wives to influence him to the point where he allowed them to build their temples to their foreign gods. Some of them absolutely, the, book, the word of God calls them detestable, detestable. Absolutely detestable. It is detestable when you're building an altar to Moloch, and Moloch is, is demanding from you your infant children to be sacrificed. I won't even say how. It's unbelievable. It's detestable is what it is. That was going on on the Mount of Olives. Can you imagine? In chapter 9 it says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon. But the strange thing is is that, that Solomon, in his having this wisdom that was a divine wisdom with the source being God the Father himself, he was just as disgusted with some of the very things that he was falling into. He knew it was wrong. The book of Ecclesiastes proves that to us. If only Solomon would have listened to himself. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, just for a second. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and the very last verse. This, this is how he concludes the book. This is how he concludes the book of Ecclesiastes in his old age after he looked at all these things about his life and recognized that they were not in the mind and will of God, he says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And so Solomon was a great preacher, but he didn't act on his own words. In a devastating way, Solomon did not act on his own words. You know, we may be jealous of him a little bit. We may say, well, Lord, you know, I wish you'd give me that kind of knowledge. I wish you'd give me that kind of insight. Remember what happened right after God had given him that, 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 that gift of wisdom? and There were two harlots that came to him, and he made a decision. You've got to read that uh, back in chapter 4, I think. Two harlots that came, and he made this incredible decision. The word of that justice went around to all the world. It was so amazing. I, I wish you would give me that. Well, listen, this is, what, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. We are offered him, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
That, that's where we are today. Okay? That's where we are today. You say, you say well, I, if I had the advantages of Solomon, you do have the advantages of Solomon. You have greater advantages of Solomon because not only do you have the same knowledge and the same wisdom that is from above, that is divine, you have the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of you to carry it out, you see. You have that wisdom. We have that wisdom at our access. We can either live by it or we can make the same mistakes that Solomon did. Know it, but move some other direction. And begin to live by some sort of a a principle that's based on on our own selves. Our own abilities, our our own knowledge. And we we begin to cast off the, the supernatural supply from heaven. And we begin to pull on our own knowledge base and we are making a terrible mistake just like Mr. Solomon did. God was disgusted. He sends a couple of enemies, Hadad, which we already discussed and Rizon. Hadad is from inside, you see. That's our worst enemy. Our worst enemy isn't, isn't planked out there somewhere ready to attack us from the outside in. Our worst enemy is from the inside out. And that's exactly um, what is represented here by Hadad. He was an Edomite. That was one of his uh, groups that he had taken wives from. So that was an inside attack, wasn't it? That's what we need to most fear is these inside attacks. And came Ahijah. Ahijah talks with Jeroboam and says, Ahijah actually went to Jeroboam and he took and he, he tore his garment. Now, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? It was probably a really nice garment, really a pretty garment, but he tore his garment and he took off 12 pieces and he gave 10 to Jeroboam and two were left, obviously, for Rehoboam. And then we take up the death of Solomon. This is the death of Solomon. I, I want you to see this. This is, I think, just incredible it's incredibly important to see this. Look at chapter 11 and verse 41. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and whatever he had and his wisdom, are they not written in the book? Where's the book? Well, Solomon's great legacy, a lost book and a rebellious son. Solomon's greatest legacy. This is what he left behind. This is what you're going to remember him. A lost book and a lost rebellious son. That's how it's all wrapped up. You say, whoa, this guy, he did so many things. Oh, my goodness. Why, he, he had his ships and he built this giant navy. It was a peacetime navy is what it was. It went all over the world because Solomon had such an incredible knowledge of zoology. It went all over the world to collect exotic animals. He would come back and he would know things about those animals that no one else could ever know. He was a biologist. He was a zoologist. He was every form of science. He was at the top of the food chain. This guy was amazing to the point where the world even knew about Solomon. And this is his left legacy. A lost book and a rebellious son. A son that I don't know for sure, but it doesn't give any indication in the Word of God that we're going to see that son, Rehoboam, in heaven at all. Solomon was so busy with everything in his little sphere of living that he forgot his own family. 
I tell you, I, I work in the school department. I see this thing constantly, and it grieves my soul. We have APs in the school department, uh, assistant principals, and we have principals. And, and they're so busy dealing with the needs of all these kids, they forget the needs of their own children. And while they're dealing with all the needs of all these kids, their children are running wild like animals. And that's exactly what happened here in Solomon's life. Take care of your children. That is our primary function in life. Oftentimes we say, well, I've just got to be busy in ministry. Oh, oh, oh. And, and that's Solomon, he was an ever-ready battery is what he was. He never stopped. And the abilities were staggering. And there was Rehoboam. All those years. All those years. He didn't take the throne until probably he was 40 years old. All those years. Being neglected by his own father. And all of this craziness in his own life began to manifest itself. Now we're in chapter 12. That's where we are today. Now I, I took a lot of time on the other because Rehoboam's just not that interesting. We got a lot of Rehoboam's around, don't we? They kind of just glide through life, you know? Absolutely no conviction. Now with Solomon, I believe there's conviction. There was a real knowledge of the living God and his presence and influence in his life. Rehoboam, not one stitch of evidence of such a thing. And here Rehoboam is given the crown. Now, it's strange to realize that in the word of God, though Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines, that's a thousand women, he only had one son. Now, I don't know that for sure. He may, there may have been other sons, but the only one named. Isn't that weird? Maybe he was the oldest, and that, that's why. I don't know why. But, I mean, with a thousand supposed wives, you know, 300 wives and 70, you'd think you'd have kids coming out of your ears. But Rehoboam is the only one that is ever mentioned here. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Here's what it says. Chapter number 12 and verse number 1. It says, Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king now when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, and Jeroboam had been uh, cast off into Egypt for a while, hiding uh, from Solomon, because Solomon wanted Jeroboam dead. Now, when, when Solomon first met up with Jeroboam, Jeroboam was kind of uh, in the kingdom there and working very hard, and Solomon recognized that. Said, this guy's got something here. This guy's got something going on the right way here. But then he realized that the prophet had spoken to Jeroboam, and I think he knew the message that the prophet gave, that ten parts of that kingdom were going to be torn apart and given to Jeroboam, and all of a sudden Jeroboam became greatest enemy. And like all the others, it seems the place that you escape is Egypt. You, you take off for Egypt. You go to the south. You get out of there. Uh, Solomon was feared tremendously. And so, verse number three, And they sent and called him... And Jeroboam, all assembly of Israel, came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made your yoke hard. Now, therefore, lighten the service of your father and his heavy yoke, which, uh, uh, which he put on you, and we will serve you. Now, here was the advice. Here was the advice. And interestingly enough, if you read the narrative, uh, the way it's presented, Jeroboam was all for this. That's a strange thing. You, you would think that, well, Jeroboam, he... He would have stood against this because he kind of had in the back of his mind that 
Hey, I have a prophet. I have the word of a prophet that said, I'm going to take up 10. I'll be against this. Jeroboam actually would have, I believe, by the word of God, I believe he would have supported Rehoboam as king. He would have supported it. It, it, it. Every indication of the word of God says he would have supported him. He said, basically, take off the yoke, the burden that you put. This is what, what it got so crazy with Solomon that he had taken foreign slaves to do his bidding. And he had building projects all over the place to the degree that we've never seen before. Incredible amount of building projects. But when he ran out of foreign slaves, he even made the nation of Israel slaves. And who, who's going to finance all that? Well, the people. It's on the backs of the people. It's the taxes, you know. And what, what was happening here is the government was, was just swallowing up the whole GDP. All the gross domestic product, everything was being swallowed up by the government. And so you were a slave. You paid tremendous taxes to keep his building projects supplied. Verse 5. Then he said to them, depart for three days, then return to me. So the people departed, along with Jeroboam now. Jeroboam also went to Shechem. Jeroboam also went to Shechem and was perfectly satisfied with allowing Rehoboam to be the king. Verse number 7. Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today, and will serve them, and grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be servants forever to you. That's a tremendous thing, isn't it? How are we successful? With a whip? No. No, with a kind word. A kind word goes a long way, a lot longer way than whips. Verse number 8. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which he had given to him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us. And, and then we get, the, we get the, the fool's counsel. Here's the fool's counsel. The young men who grew up with him uh, spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made your yoke heavy. Now you make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Hmm. Now, I want you to get the picture here because you've got to understand what had gone on. Uh, Rehoboam is not 18. Rehoboam is probably 40 years old at this time when he actually took the throne. These were, these were young men that had grown up with him. Uh, it, it, it indicates in the scriptures very clearly that they grew up right there in the, the beautiful fallatial palaces that Solomon himself had built. They grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth, and there is no doubt about it. They grew up spoiled. We're talking about the friends. We're talking about Rehoboam. We're talking about the whole, the whole bunch of them there. They had no real grasp of what reality was. They had no relationship with the, no relationship at all from, from the God of heaven. They had nothing is what they had. And their, their advice basically was, listen, you tell them that, that your pinky is, is thicker than your, your father's thigh. Hmm. 
We'll show them. Take the pressure off? No, you, you jack the screws down and you put on more pressure. That's what you do. What foolish advice. Do you see the picture? Jeroboam would have followed. The whole of the kingdom simply wanted one thing, that the pressure would be taken off, that, that their father in air put on them, and then they would have followed Rehoboam. And this fool of a son, this absolute fool of a son, he's, he's the fool of a wise man, ironically. The fool of a wise man. Verse number 11, whereas my father loaded you with heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. You have this man Rehoboam. Many times we do this. Watch out for this. We will ask advice as many times as it takes to find someone that agrees with us. There was good advice given. Oftentimes, you'll go to an older person and you'll hear advice and it just doesn't fit harmoniously with what you want to do. And so you pass that advice off and you go to someone else. And you may even get the same advice again. And in this case, he got the advice a number of times before he went to his supposed friends. So we keep going until we hear what we want to hear. Verse 12, Then Jeroboam and all the people came to uh, Rehoboam on the third day. They had told him, Give me three days, I'll think about it. Return to me on the third day. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, uh, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the uh, Shulanite to Jeroboam. And so here you have that, that mixture of, uh, of the will of these fools, the will of the fools, and the will of the fools aligned itself with the will of God. Now, how can I answer that? I can't. But it did. You say, well, well, then the will of the fools, they'll never be held accountable to that. It's not what the Word of God says. That's the strange thing. They are held accountable. They are held accountable for the decisions they made. And the actions that were taken. And ultimately what it will do is it will take the, the kingdom and it will divide that kingdom. And we have Jeroboam going to the north then. He breaks off from Rehoboam because Rehoboam will not agree. Now Jeroboam was no picnic either. He was an awful king. In fact, as you look at all the kings of the north, there were 19 of them in the north. All of them were bad. And the Word of God keeps saying over and over and over again, He followed after Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. I felt sorry for Nebat. 
poor guy got mentioned uh, numerous times, and, and here he's, we don't even hear about him in the Word of God as far as his person is concerned. But over and over and over again, he said, that king went by the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, over and over and over again. So Jeroboam was lost too. Rehoboam is lost too. There were 20 kings in the south that remained in the south. And of those 20 kings, there are some good kings, but many bad kings again. And the kingdom had gone into absolute disarray. But through Rehoboam comes one great king that we're looking for today, and that is the king of kings and lord of lords. That is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, there was a line through David that God made a promise. That line will never go away. Oh, you say, well, oh boy, boy, it's really in jeopardy here. This is trouble. This is trouble. And God preserved. The, the, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, they remained in the south. And God preserved that line that ran, runs all the way to the cross. And the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Now, when you, when you hear narratives like this, when you hear a narrative story, you can't just look at it and say, well, you know what I want to do? I want to memorize every fact. that I'm going to blow them away with all the facts of this narrative. I'm going to tell them details of, oh, boy, they're going to think I'm something. God put the life of Solomon. We're not going to deal with Rehoboam too much. God put the life of Solomon in his holy writ that stands eternally for a reason. There is a reason why God takes this many chapters and dwells on the life of this man. Who said this? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. Ah. That was Solomon. That was Solomon. He didn't live it out. But he knew it. He knew it. He knew it. He knew it better than anyone. But he couldn't live it out. Solomon also said, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. said that to his son before his son went off and made a fool of himself when he became king. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Who, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3 says this. Now I want you to get this. <clears throat> The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the cliff of the rock, whose habitation is high, but who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? The pride of men is his greatest downfall. Our own pride in knowing what the Word of God says and then basically taking the rudder of life and grabbing onto it. And God does all kinds of things to take our fingers and pull them one by one off that rudder that keeps us directing in our life. Say, I want to run the ship. 
and one by one. And we keep holding on to that rudder. We want to keep that rudder. We want to keep that control. We keep with that same lesson over and over again. And then death comes. It's a mercy. Let me tell you how it's a mercy. Because oftentimes people die this way. They, oftentimes they do die very suddenly. Maybe it's a car crash. Boom! Absent in the body. If you know the Lord, present with the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, there's eternal separation from God Almighty. But if you know the Lord, you're, you're, you're with the Lord. But oftentimes death doesn't come that way, does it? It comes slow. We might get a word from a doctor. You, you have cancer. And suddenly we, we, we have a, a view, we have a complete understanding. We begin to, this mortality thing, though we talked about it, though we verbalized it, we really didn't believe it. And then comes that diagnosis. And there's some people, instead of taking with the mercies of God and, and by that knowing we're going to die, beginning to pry the hands and fingers away from that rudder, they grab on even tighter. You say, are you insane? Do you not understand? You're not going to be here next year, and you're still grabbing on. And when the ship goes down, and you look down in the depths of that water, there's that man, eyes open, wide as can be, Teeth gritting with tremendous, and the hands are still plowed to the rudder. See, how can that be? How could that be? The heart can become so hardened by complete, absolute time and time again, rejecting the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there we are in the bottom of the water, and we still got a hand on that rudder. Dead as a doornail. It's an awful thing, isn't it? God gives us opportunity, like he gave Solomon, to take the hands off the rudder. But Solomon had so much ability. And I think that's what's being said here. Solomon has so much ability that he kept relying on himself. And it was his undoing. It was his absolute undoing. And it was the undoing of his family. And no doubt the wives just went completely off the wall. It was a mess. Can you imagine his family life? Can you imagine what a mess that was? Unbelievable. Because we won't give God the control. Solomon knew it. I am absolutely convinced. See, God, like I said, God gives him this supernatural wisdom, but it's a two-sided coin. He absolutely knew. That's why we have writings. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledging him and he will direct that path. Why didn't he do it? Why didn't he do it? He didn't do it. And it was his absolute undoing. And nothing's new under the sun, Solomon said. It will be our own absolute, absolute undoing as well. If we decide to take the command of God, the law of God, the scriptures, all the direction that God has given us, and say, ah, not for me, cast it all aside, 
This life is my oyster. I'm going to grab onto that rudder and I'm going to get it the best I can out of this life. And we end up going down with the ship. Hands still on the rudder of stubbornness. I think that's the message of Solomon, you see. God put it here so that we could see the folly of understanding the will of God, all the intricacies of the mind more than anyone else could, and then just going our own way and doing our own thing. That's why he put it here. May we understand and and, and be able to move our lives. Take the fingers one by one by one by one off the rudder and let it go. And let God direct. Let God direct. Our Father and our God, we are thankful for the Word of God which just directs us and guides us and And gives us light on the path of this life. Gives us the light that we need to know where to go and and how to go and who to follow our Father. It tells us about the enemies that we're going to be facing. And and, and, and gives us a heads up as to what to be looking for in those enemies and avoid those enemies. Our Father, the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet. And a light unto our path. Oh, Father, that we don't make the same mistake that others have made in the past. And sit wondering at the end of life. With nothing to show for it. For we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As Solomon said. (laughs) We give you thanks, our Father. Now we just ask that you would part us with your blessing. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.